0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the American Ambulance EMS podcast. I'm Dr. Danielle Campaign, American Ambulance's medical director. I'm here with our fantastic co host Dr. Batil Armenian, Dr. Sajin Bakka, and we have a special guest with us, Mr. Stephen Rippey.
1: Good morning, everybody.
0: Hi,
2: everyone. Hello.
0: Today, we're going to be talking about tracheostomy tube complications.
3: Who serves a million people in the valley? We do. The brave men and women of the A are the best at what they do in EMS today. The finest place in the world to be is right here as a part of American's family. Help is on the way, got a unit en route. No matter the problem, when in doubt, we send them out. Sure as the sunrise, sure as I bust this rhyme, 10 minutes or less. Every call, every time, this is my career path,
2: this is what I do. The A's, red, white, and blue. Get your call on. Here comes American.
3: Get your lights on.
2: Here comes American.
3: Get your gurney on. Here comes American. Get your gloves on. Here
2: comes American.
3: Get your save on.
0: Thanks, Stephen, for being with us here today. Um, Go ahead and tell us about yourself. Hi, so I'm Stephen
1: Rippey. I've been with American for five years. Uh, I just became a paramedic about six months ago. I'm from Madeira. Got... Three kids: fourteen-year-old, twelve-year-old, and a six-year-old daughter.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm glad to see a, a local boy staying in town and taking care of our uh, patients here. So, thank you so much. Um, go ahead and tell us about your case, your interesting tracheostomy tube case.
1: So, the case that I had, I was on internship, and we got sent to a sniff for a sick person. He was brought over to the facility about four hours earlier in the night. He had a trach and they pulled it because they were going to rehab him to send him back home. He had a G-tube and they were feeding him and then he started vomiting and it was coming out of his trach. So the facility was really, really scared. So they called out EMS and we get there and they tell us, you know, we just got him. He's rehabbing because they removed his trach and they're going to send him back home he's been vomiting uh we just need to get him to the hospital to figure out what's wrong so my preceptor she's seen that he was vomiting through his trach she said "Stephen, get on the uh the airway you know suction if needed which i did uh to his lung sounds they were good En route my preceptor noticed that his Sats were in the low to mid seventies, and she's like, "Steven, uh, something's wrong here. You know, his oxygen levels like seventy five percent. You sure you suctioned everything?" And I was like, "Yeah, I listened to his lung sounds, and I'll I'll do it again. But I'm sure I got everything. So I listened clear again, and she's like." you sure they're clear? And I was like, yeah. Uh, I had suction ready just in case, and I took a listen again. I was like, they're still clear. I was like, I can suction again, but I don't think anything's going to come out. And then she's like, hmm, I got an idea. So she took two fingers, covered his tracheal, and then his oxygen levels rose. So by the time we got him to the hospital, he was... From what, 75 to like 86% and climbing.
0: Awesome. Now, I have a question for you. When you were suctioning, were you sucking from his mouth because he's vomiting his mouth or sucking from the trach? Or can you, can you go and elaborate for us on that?
1: So I know with the trach patients that you don't go in through the mouth. You got to go in through the opening. So the soft suction catheter, you just go in and then kind of like a wet spaghetti noodle on your way out. Perfect. Yeah.
0: Um. So you were getting a lot of vomitus out when you did it initially the first time, or was there not too much in there on scene? Yeah, once he was done vomiting, there's nothing was coming out. That's interesting because you shouldn't vomit from your trach, right? Like that's the air hole versus the esophagus. So you're guessing that he's probably aspirating. So it's coming up his esophagus and then somehow coming down his trach. He must not have a good gag or, you know, the ability to cough. And so it's coming down and then coming out his trach hole. So you wonder how much went into his lungs before you guys even got there.
1: And he was a paraplegic on top of that. And he had multiple strokes and he was like GCS 9, 10
2: so definitely a very sick guy. Yeah. Any other questions from the group for Steven? Well, when you noticed that his oxygen saturation was low, were you giving him supplemental oxygen? And how are you doing that? We had him on 15 liters, uh, NRB,
1: uh, over the nose and mouth. Yeah, we weren't doing it through the tracheal.
0: So it makes sense what your partner did, because if you're putting it through the nose and mouth, the oxygen could have the, the least you know, resistance is going to come out the stoma or the hole in the trach. So covering that up is great because now the oxygen is going to go down his trachea into his lungs. So that's a a great thing to do with that missing trach. Thanks for coming, Stephen, and thank you for sharing your case with us. Thank you so much, guys, for having me.
3: So... First off, what is a tracheostomy? A tracheostomy is a surgically created hole or stoma in your windpipe or trachea that provides an alternative way for breathing. So the tracheostomy tube is that plastic tube that goes into that that hole, the tracheostomy hole, and it consists of three parts. There's an outer cannula with a flange, an inner cannula, and an obturator. The outer cannula is the outer tube that holds the tracheostomy open. The flange or neck plate is that plastic part that extends from the sides of the outer tube and has holes to attach cloth ties or a Velcro strap to secure it around the neck. And then the inner cannula is the tube that fits inside the outer cannula. It has a lock to keep it from being coughed out and it's removed for cleaning. The obturator is used to insert a tracheostomy tube. It fits inside the tube to provide a smooth surface that guides the tracheostomy tube when it's being inserted. Um, the reason why people get tracheostomies are for either acute respiratory failure and the need for prolonged mechanical ventilation. So this is about two thirds of all cases or some sort of traumatic or catastrophic neurologic insult requiring airway mechanical ventilation or both. Um, In intensive care units, actually 15 to 20% of patients will require a tracheostomy. That's, you know, a fair amount of of ICU patients that end up needing this type of care.
0: Before we jump into the complications that come with tracheostomy tubes, let's just review the anatomy again. So remember, the tracheostomy tube is placed inferior to the cricothyroid membrane, and its common location is really between the second and third tracheal ring. This is not a cric, so this is a trache. so it's down lower in between that second and third tracheal rings. Once they put in this hole, the stoma, takes about a week for that tract from the skin to the trachea to really mature. So any that you get called out on, they're really considered unstable if the, if the trach has been placed in the last seven days. So if that should fall out. You won't be able to get it back in because that skin has not been brought up. The trachea has not been brought up to the skin. So you can have a false tract or a false lumen and have a lot of complications. So the most dangerous time is really the first seven days. Sajjan, why don't you kick us off on some trach complications?
2: So there are four big categories of complications for the tracheostomy and the tubes. One is obstruction. Two is decannulation or dislodgement. Three is bleeding. And four is infection. So first, trach obstruction may be due to thick secretions, mucus plugs, blood clots, foreign bodies, or kinking or dislodgement of the tube. Early warning signs of obstruction include tachypnea, tachycardia, and desaturation. Now, a lot of these patients, as Steven mentioned in his case, are chronically ill and have neurologic deficits at baseline. It can be really hard to get a good exam on these patients. So really have a high index of suspicion uh, to look out for complications from obstruction, even if you don't see respiratory distress. Second is decannulation or dislodgement. This is fairly obvious. This often happens on accident, either when moving the patient, and the trach can become dislodged or if it falls out. This is very serious if the trach is fresh. Danielle mentioned especially less than seven days old, as the tract is not mature, and replacing the trach inside the stoma can cause a false lumen, and so you can actually dissect the neck tissue and not actually get the tube back into the airway. The third complication is bleeding. Bleeding after tracheostomy is fortunately rare, but can happen due to erosion of a nearby blood vessel or slipping of a ligature. One of the main serious complications we think of later on is a tracheoanominate fistula. This is when the tube and the hole actually creates a fistula with the anominate artery, and this can cause very brisk Pulsatile bleeding, and you can actually exsanguinate and aspirate all that blood, and it can be very serious. The fourth complication is infection. Infection can be in the trachea or around the tracheostomy tube. And signs of infection can be fever, thick mucus that is yellow or green, coughing up mucus with bright or dark red blood in it, or very foul odor, uh, mucus secretions, or increased need for suctioning.
0: Now that we've got that basic understanding of the background of different kinds of tracheal complications, let's kind of go through some different questions and how we would solve these problems. So if you're on a transport with someone with a trach, or you call that for a trach, we'll kind of go through those. Let's start out with, how do you assess if a trach is actually functioning?
3: Well, you're looking out for some signs of trach problems, such as hypoxia, um, what's their O2 sat, are they having difficulty breathing? Um, Is there inability to suction the trachea? Is there inability to place the inner cannula? Um, Is there bleeding? Is there swelling? So these are some of the signs you're looking out for. You know, when you're trying to figure out, is it working for actually breathing? You're going to listen, look, and feel for evidence of breathing at the native upper airway and over the tracheostomy site for 10 seconds. So look at kind of both nose and mouth as well as trach site. Um, use your end title CO2 waveform capnography and your pulse ox.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important. A lot of times we get focused on the trach, right? The trach might be gurgling or bleeding and no one's assessing like, can this person still breathe? And a lot of it is because we don't even really know why they have the trach. Do they have it just because they have a stroke or is there like a huge tumor in the back of their throat and there's no airway coming from above? So that's a great point to assess both of them. So what are the key history pieces you need to ask a trach patient or a trach patient's family or caregiver if you can?
2: The first and most important thing is when was the tracheostomy performed? Again, less than seven days, it's very unstable and can be very difficult to replace the tube. More than seven days will be a little easier. You will also know because the sutures will still be in place, tying the trachea to the skin of the neck. Also try to find out why was the tracheostomy placed? Is their upper airways, their oropharynx still intact that you could use to oxygenate if you needed to? Or is the tracheostomy placed because there's a large tumor or obstruction above that site that you won't be able to use the oropharynx at all? Try to find out if there was any recent tracheostomy changes or downsizing, any recent hospitalizations or infections. Is the patient on any blood thinning medication or anticoagulation? Are there any signs of fever, cough, increased sputum, thick sputum, or malodorous sputum?
3: Yeah, and if you have a lot of sputum, one of the things you worry about is there going to be obstruction now because of all the sputum and mucus. Now, what's the best way to suction a trach?
0: Kind of like Stephen talked about, you know, they, if they have a trach in place, now his was just more of a stoma or just an opening, not really the trach tube inside. So first, um, you need your suction machine, you need suction tubing. Then you're going to remove the inner cannula of that trach if they have one. And then when you get your suction device out, this is a small, it's a very flexible suction device. It's usually an eight French. And then you're going to put that cannula straight into the trach hole. You're usually using it in your dominant hand, right? So you're putting that in between your thumb and index finger, kind of like holding a pencil and you're pushing it in. And I always think, imagine the trach is a couple inches into their trachea. So you want to go past that. So you want to go a couple inches in or until you feel resistance. And then you're going to suction on the way out. So you're going to push down on the suction, and suction on the way out. And as you're applying suction and coming out, you're going to um, twist it a little bit. You're going to roll that suction catheter in your fingers, kind of like rolling a pencil. Or you can try to rotate the catheter like opening a doorknob. The idea of moving it is that you have this big clogged mucus, right? Think of a very hard booger in your nose, but instead of it being in your nose, it's in your trachea. So you're trying to suction that out to clear that airway. Um, so to get that debris, get the mucus from the trach tube so that the patient can breathe clearly without an obstruction.
3: Well, I liked Stephen's um, comment. He was like, you roll it like a spaghetti noodle. That was perfect. That's exactly how you want to do it.
0: I think sometimes in, under duress, you know, we're nervous. These patients aren't breathing well, right? They're sweating. They're hypoxic. You kind of forget that. But the rolling really does help. So it's good to remember or practice on a patient who's doing well that you're going to go down, push the suction on the way back up. You're going to twist and roll it like that noodle. Let's talk about now, what do we do if the trach's obstructed? So I've tried to go down the trach and um, it's obstructed. So I can't get past the resistance I've suctioned. In our protocols, we talk about them putting some sterile saline in there to try to loosen it up and moisten it. So say you've put your 3 ml of saline in there, you're still trying to suction, and it's really a complete obstruction. It's, um, you can't get anything past it. Sajjan, what do we do next?
2: Unfortunately, this is the most common complication in trach patients. Usually, it's caused by plugging of the tracheostomy tube with crust or a mucus plug. These plugs can also be aspirated into the lungs and can lead to atelectasis or even lung abscesses. So, the clinical signs you'll see are shortness of breath, tripod positioning, gurgling sounds, or strider from the trache. You may even see a large mucus plug or thick secretions at the opening of the trache. This can occur as the patient tries to cough and the phlegm or mucus lodges into the opening of the trache tube. So, Let's talk through a call. So you arrive on scene. How do you assess if the trach tube is patent? First thing you're going to do is if the patient has a one-way valve or a speaking cap, you're going to remove that. You're going to remove the inner cannula or the inner tube if that's present and see if you can pass a suction catheter. So if you can, the trach is patent. If not, if you insert it one or two inches, are a few centimeters and you can't get past that, then the trach is not patent. The next thing you can try is to deflate the cuff. So use a syringe and take the air out of the cuff. Look and listen and feel at the mouth and the trach. Is air moving? You can also use waveform capnography at this step if you have it. After doing those things, is the patient improving? If yes, there's likely a partial obstruction of the trach and some air is going by. If the patient is not improving, you need to consider a complete obstruction. This is the emergency. You can try suctioning again. Again, in our protocol, we have three milliliters of saline to try and break up any really thick mucus. Now, if you're still completely obstructed, you need to remove the trach. In our system, you would need to call the base and ask to remove the trach. And once the trach is out, you can actually place your bag valve mask over the stoma using a pediatric BVM, and bag the patient that way. Or, as in Stephen's case, you can remove the trach, block the stoma with just a few fingers, and bag the patient's mouth. But remember, this is a complete airway obstruction. If no air can come past the trach, you need to remove the obstruction.
0: I like to think of it as you know, this patient needs emergent oxygenation. So um, whether they have a foreign body up in their airway, like a kid who swallowed a marble and it's a complete obstruction, or it's a trach that's completely occluded with mucus and debris, either way, there's no air coming from outside into their lungs. So always try to use your normal tools too. So try to maybe put oxygen on their mouth while you're suctioning, right, this patient, like put them on a non rebreather. Because sometimes you can get a complete obstruction into a partial by Like we talked about, Saad talked about, by decreasing the cough or suction a little bit. And if so, if some oxygen gets by, that really helps them. So remember, you can bag from the mouth or bag from the stoma. Like, don't forget the mouth is another option. Um, you know, in the ED, once we take this out, you know, we would intubate them through the stoma. Some systems may allow intubation through the stoma. Ours doesn't. But that is something to look at in your own system to see if that's an option for you. And Steven's case is a perfect example of don't forget that native airway. You can just plug that stoma and back from the mouth if you need to. Okay,
3: another question for the group. What do you do if the trach comes out? This all depends on the timing of how fresh is this trach. So if it's less than seven days old, don't attempt to put it back in. Um just occlude the hole and bag the patient from the mouth. And again, this is because the track hasn't formed yet. And so you may try to put the tube in and it might go just like in the skin and not even get into the trachea. So you think you've gotten it back in, but you don't. And so you don't want that false, uh, false sense of reassurance. Now, if the trach is older than seven days, then you can attempt to put the trach back in. You basically can, if you see the hole, you can directly put the tube back in, or you can um, do fingertip guided. So use your finger to find the hole in the trachea, then guide the tube into the hole um, with that guidance of your fingertip.
0: In our system, you know, to go and put a a complete trach that's totally out on the patient back in, you would have to call base. It's not part of our protocols. But I know some protocols and some EMS systems allow you to put it right back in. Some of these are very mature holes, right? They've been there for a really long time. They take them out at home and change them out. Sometimes they're just partially out. So I feel like if it's partially out, only like an inch or so out, you can just gently push that back in.
3: And what do you do if there's bleeding from the trach site?
0: Yeah, this is a great question. So bleeding is a very rare but serious complication. It usually happens very early on, um, or it can happen later, like Sajan talked about earlier, where um, you know they develop a fistula between the arteries. So I think when there's bleeding, you want to look at it like any other bleeding site. Is it just oozing? Like, has that trach rubbed it raw, and it just kind of drips and oozing? Then you just want to suction, not a big deal, or is it like massive amounts of bright red bleeding? So I think in your mind, it's like: is this blood gonna go down their trachea into their lungs and cause a lot of problems? So if it's a, quite a bit of blood and it's going down into their lungs, you wanna make sure you inflate the cuff of the trach to prevent the blood from running down the trachea. And then if it's still bleeding, you're gonna overinflate the cuff. And the idea to do that is you're gonna provide some pressure um, on the bleeding vessel. Um, And the trach tube should not be removed, right? So the idea is that if it's bleeding in the trachea, remember, this is our one hole to get oxygen past the bleeding site. So if you remove it, you know, the patient's going to kind of drown in their own blood, right? They're not gonna be able to stop that. So leave that trach in, blow up the cuff, maybe extra blow up the cuff to put pressure on it. Remember, this is in the most dangerous part in the first seven days, usually after a trach is put in. So it's fresh, it's a new wound, um, and it's bleeding,
3: For me, bleeding is the scariest thing. And I know that, you know, we think about obstruction and the tube came out and all this, but at the end of the day, it's like, once you get a bleeder, often it's arterial and it's pretty massive. And your initial gut instinct is like, okay, well, let me take this tube out. Then maybe I can get my finger in there. And it's like, no, don't do that. Leave the tube in and try to overinflate the cuff and that's and try to bag through that. And that's the best thing you can do for these patients.
0: And I think in the EMS world, call the base, right? Let them know you're coming so they can get prepared and get all their kids out. Let them know this is really an unstable airway. It'd be the same thing as someone's vomiting or vomiting up a bunch of blood and then aspirated it, right? So it's like a lot of blood in their airway. Um, and so with a trach, there's a, just a direct hole to their airway. So I think, too, you're also going to have big, large-bore IVs. They're bleeding. You're going to try to keep them as calm and comfortable as possible. You can put a non-rebreather on their mouth, put oxygen on their trach site, and then really over-inflate that cuff.
3: I think that's a really good point about just calling your base and letting them know. I think with any of these complications, these are all a big deal because we're talking about the airway, right? The airway is having a problem. And so these are always going to be stat medical calls no matter what system you're in.
2: We had a great case a few weeks ago of bystanders calling EMS for a patient who appeared to be in distress at a bus stop fiddling with his trach. And EMS got there and realized that the trach was partially dislodged and the patient was in respiratory distress. So they did a great thing by just calling in ahead of time. We were able to set up the room and get a lot of emergency equipment available. It was really important because the patient... Actually, coded just before arriving to the emergency department. And we were able to use a pediatric bougie. After we removed the tracheostomy tube, we put that pediatric bougie into the stoma and were able to pass an ET tube over that bougie and cannulate the trachea that way. You know, a minute or two after, at the next pulse check, the patient had his pulses back. So letting your base hospital know that you're on your way so that they can gather those things is really important.
0: All right, let's go through our SEMSA, our Central California EMS Agency Protocol um, for Tracheostomy Care. Patio.
3: So this is actually one of our BLS protocols, and um, it's for any patient with a tracheostomy and experiencing respiratory distress. First, it's to assess for obstruction. So if they have excessive secretions, dried secretions, swelling, infection, foreign body, or bleeding. Now, um, the first step in treatment is giving 100% oxygen by bag valve mask or mask to trach based on the patient's ability to ventilate. And um, don't use any oxygen-powered breathing device on a tracheostomy.
0: So when they're talking about um, oxygen-powered device, they're talking about the trans-tracheal jet insufflator. So you don't want to shove oxygen under power in a trach. Remember, the hole is already there, so you don't want to damage the posterior side of that trachea.
3: Great. So your next step would be suctioning. Um, Use sterile technique if possible. And so you're going to want to pre-oxygenate, which is hyperventilate, for one minute prior to suctioning. Then you're going to irrigate with three cc's of normal saline through the trach. So you can just use an irrigation syringe or a saline fish. Um, Then tell the patient to inhale. Insert the suction catheter gently until resistance is felt. Then tell the patient to cough or exhale and suction during withdrawal of the catheter. So you're basically putting the catheter in and then suctioning on its way out. Contact the base hospital for medical direction if the patient is not approving after the above treatments, if the patient develops subcutaneous emphysema, bleeding from the tracheostomy site, uh, the trach tube gets dislodged, or if you have any questions. These are STAT transports. Contact the base hospital en route to the closest appropriate facility. If you are a BLS unit, Consider a rendezvous with an ALS unit um, if you need to.
0: And I like to think of these as you're transporting almost an intubated patient. So they have two holes, right, instead of one. So you're more complicated. And so something's going wrong with that um, tracheostomy tube, just back in your mind it's like something going wrong with an ET tube, right? So you're going to be hypervigilant. You're going to stare at that tube. I know we get complacent. A lot of people have trachs for years. Their stroke patients are transferred to the sniff and back again. We're them just chilling, but things can go bad pretty fast. So I feel like anytime you get a trach patient, you want to do a a basic assessment of that airway and that trach before you even leave the hospital, before you even leave the site, especially if they're not even calling for that problem. They have a broken leg, but they have a trach. It's like, you want to make sure you look at that trach. How is our airway? How would I fix it? So um, really, these trach complications can come on suddenly. Let's go through our summary take-home points for the podcast today. Patio.
3: Fresh trachs, less than seven days, are the most dangerous. Don't reinsert these if they fall out. Sajan.
2: Assess for tracheostomy tube obstruction. Try to pass a catheter to make sure the trach is patent.
0: And my take-home point is um, obstructions can be partial or complete at the tracheostomy tube. So if it's partial, just let it be. Let the oxygen go by. Keep it in a position of comfort. If it's, if it's complete, it's an emergency, an airway emergency, and use all your tools to help alleviate that obstruction.
3: I have a second take-home point, which is that don't forget these are stat transports and call into the, the hospital that your destination is so that they can get ready for you. Great point. Thanks,
0: everyone. Thank you.
3: Thanks. podcast at AmericanAmbulance.com. Once again, that's podcast at AmericanAmbulance.com. Thanks.
1: Thank you for joining us on the American Ambulance EMS podcast, produced by American Ambulance in Fresno, California. The views of the guests and the hosts of this show are their own and don't necessarily reflect the views of American Ambulance or UCSF Fresno. The theme song for the show is written and performed by Roshan Roach. The beats were created by Young Pear and Brett Schoenwald. And I'm John Mark Bergen, American Ambulance's media
3: producer, saying thanks for joining us. Have a great shift and stay safe out there.